Welcome to uh, the story series continuing. Uh, we are in Act 5 of the sixth act drama of Scripture, and I'm in the second half of Act 5, and we'll be picking this up. Tonight, though, is probably going to be a little bit different than normal. I, in my headspace for preparing, I decided to sort of give you a personal response to this series, kind of how it's impacting me, what it's challenging me with, and hopefully give you a little bit of a taste of where we're going. The act has been titled in the book that we're referring to as the, I think it's the spreading of the news of the king from Rome to the ends of the earth. And essentially, uh, Act 5 is where Peter took his last uh, gathering, covers the New Testament period. And so, if I were to really follow this to a T, I should take us from pretty much all church history to today in which I'm neither qualified nor uh, really able to do that in 20 minutes. Um, so this is going to be a little bit of a personal response. We started with the metaphor, and I just want to pick up there. We started with this idea that uh, we were actors in a Shakespearean play that had been discovered, except it was missing its fifth act, and we had to essentially pick up and improvise. I have to say, the first time I've heard this from NT, it sounded like a useful way of explaining it, but I didn't really get too much into it. And then the other day, we were planning some hangout times, and Billy suggested that we might play some theater games. And this is when I actually had a minor, minor panic, because I don't really do theater games. But it was interesting to think of this like an improv exercise. And it actually helped me, because I started to ask that question. If we were going to be forced, say, because someone was going to invite us to do this without giving us a choice, and said, we're going to do an improv activity. And the improv activity will be that you have an existing story, and then there's a gap in that story. We want you to come in and actually ask it out. I want, we want you to carry it on. This is like a whose line is it anyway exercise. How would, what, what would you do? Uh, what, how would you prepare for that? And that's sort of where I started to chew. If this really is what NT is, uh, Tom Wright's proposing to us as an engage of, uh, a way of engaging with Scripture today, how would we prepare for it? And I think there's three things that kind of stood out to me in terms of uh, how I would prepare for it. I think it's pretty obvious, right? You'd have a mild panic and you would do your best to read the existing story. You would want to know what the heck happened in that first part because you, you would need to fill in. To, to understand how to be, as we said earlier in Chris' introduction, how would you be consistent so that it fit with that story and just wasn't something completely random? And the next thing I would probably do is have a panic and say, what is my role? Like, what is the role of humans? Is it a sci-fi story? Are there other creatures? You know, you want to understand what your role is in that overarching narrative. And then, if this was an improv activity that had been done before, I would say, how have other people done this? Right? I don't like working from a blank canvas, so anytime I'm going to create something, I usually snoop and say, someone else has done something like this before. What did they do? And I would probably study a bit. Uh, and so I just want to reflect on these three main ways I think that we engage with living now. Because that's what we're trying to do. We're actually trying to ask the question, we were given today, how do we live in light of the story of Scripture today. And we can't actually copy and paste, right? Because every context is different. Wellington, New Zealand in 2016 is not you know, 32 AD Israel. We can't just take 
how they expressed their faith, how they lived it out, how they demonstrated what it means to follow Jesus, and just duplicate it. We have to find a way, we, we, now, the challenge is now, to use the context of the story and to improvise. And I think if we're going to improvise, we'd have to know the story to be consistent with it, know our role, and know some of our tradition, how people have been doing this for the last thousand and a bit years. Um, and I find each of these personally has challenged me, and so I just want to share some of those challenges with you as we go. And don't worry, we won't be doing any theater games. Although Billy's got a few she keeps. Yeah, she's got some for us. Um, so the first, the first one I want to talk about is just know the story. And uh, I think over the last little while, we've been wrestling with the story. But every time we do this, I'm challenged by the fact that if someone came up and asked me to tell them the story of God, what would I say? And especially on the Jesus talk, when I was preparing for it, I was humbled because I was like, you know, it's easy to let someone else's words articulate the story of God, but if I had to give an account like in Acts of Peter, you know, who retells the story to a crowd, how would I give it? What is my summary? What is my synopsis? That's sort of kind of got under my skin a bit. How, how do we, each as individuals, tell the story of God? And I think that's one of the challenges that's come to me through it. And I'll offer you how I'm starting to do it, just so you can see how this works for me. Um, I tend to keep things pretty bird's eye. So uh, when we started in Act 1, to me, the story starts with God, this character, desiring to take humanity and all of creation to fulfillment. That desire to bless. God blessed creation and wanted to bless creation through humanity. God gives humanity in this opening scene a central role to be worship, uh, to be um, priests and stewards, and that God wanted humanity to worship God, and through worshiping in the relationship with God, would adequately take care of, would model that love from God to creation. That God gave us this central role in taking this creation project towards fulfillment. But then the fall occurred, and when we talk about the fall, it's mainly human faithfulness, is how I articulate it, human unfaithfulness, to live out of that vocation, out of, uh, out of the relationship with God, led to this other force, not of blessing, but of curse. Curse that took us away from fulfillment more towards decay and formlessness. And that force is what we call sin. And that force exists and exerts its power on us today. It's still very much here. And God then stayed true to that calling of taking this creation project somewhere through people. God chose a people in Israel to take it to this place of fulfillment. Uh, and he reaffirms that call to be a kingdom of priests, right? We, we talked about that early on. And, uh, but Israel is not able to sustain it. They can't sustain their faithfulness. And so then God takes on flesh in Jesus, walks amongst us lives out this human vocation and challenges the force of sin and breaks out this force of life, the new creation through his life, death, and resurrection. God then again calls the church and gives them this force to, to battle with the force of evil, which is the spirit. And it takes us up to now. And I guess, for me, it's essential that I can frame in my head at least that part of the story. Because if I'm going to live out of this story, I have to be able to call it up. And you might not use my words, you might find a different metaphor is more helpful than the representative human that I choose to tell the story from. But I think it's important that all of us find a way 
to articulate our summary of the story of God. Because that's how we operate out of that. will kind of shape our imagination. So how would you say? And I guess that's something that if you haven't thought about it, it would be cool to hear your account. Because I've probably told mine so many times now. And it would be good to hear yours. But perhaps one of the things that's most exciting for me from our journey into Scripture is not just knowing the story and getting into the text. I think that's pretty clear that we want to understand the Bible uh, and what it says from a meta perspective, but also each individual book. But just to be, uh, what's the word? To be recaptured by God's vision for humanity. And I want to pick up in Acts, at the end of Act 5, where Peter was taking us, we saw the, the, the early church community, and I think you, you summed it up really well, Pete, when you were saying that they were a worshiping community and a caring community. We see them reaffirm this priestly vocation from the beginning. This came from Chris. Um, all of our uh, good ideas come from him. Uh, and so, what, what I think was so beautiful about that is if you study the, the from the beginning, this call, from right from Genesis, this priestly vocation that was given to us, essentially to worship, and then to stewards, to care, was right at the beginning, to care for the earth, to care for each other. And we see in Acts 2, the community living that out. And then the early history of the church is full of this. This is what they do. The early church is known to be a community that worships together. They would gather in homes, share meals. They had what was called the Agape Feast. They would have this big celebration, celebrating Easter pretty much every week. And then they would be a caring community. One of the hallmarks of the early church was how much they tended to the sick and to the outsider and to the poor. In fact, one of the things that people say led to the spread of Christianity was the fact that the early church often was the only ones around to care for those stricken by plagues and illness. No one else would want to go near them, but you find Christians there in that early time period caring, even if it costs them. And so that, that role, that vocation to worship and care is essential to what it means to be human. I mean, this is what we believe is actually the fundamental vocation of all humanity. And so for us as a community, this is challenging to me because it asks me a lot of questions, uh, especially about how I worship and what does it mean to worship. And in fact, uh, N.C. Wright has a couple of very powerful ideas about worship and caring, and essentially how this is, this royal priesthood in his words is sort of where the, the, the vision of humanity is going. But he talks about how uh, when we worship and care, he says worship and mission is the word he uses, are conjoined twins. They share a heart, the heart that loves God, the triune creator, and that loves for his sake the world he made, in particular the creatures that bear his image. See, fundamental to the story of scripture is that humanity was made to worship and that we become like what we worship that we were made to essentially reflect an image through us and so by looking and worshiping and filling our hearts and minds with God that then comes through us into how we care to, for the world and so to me the challenge then essentially is how do we keep telling ourselves the story and worship and keeping the view of God in front of us. Uh, N.T. has a, another further kind of definition of what he calls worship, because it's often something that is tricky for us to define. But he says, Worship is to give voice to our faith, to celebrate our hope, and above all, express and articulate 
our love. And I think for me, as a community and as an individual, I'm challenged by how easily I will lose sight of who God is and about the things that I celebrate in God, the things I believe are worthwhile in God. I'm, I'm easily just go about my life living and acting like what I've learned in the past should just carry me. But I think I miss on this fundamental need of humanity to keep that which we love, if, if it's not even just a human relationship, it's one with the divine, in front of us. And so how do we as a community continue to gather and give voice to our faith lest we forget? You know? How do we give voice to our hope and, and then express and articulate our love? How do we do that in a way that keeps reminding us of who God is? Uh, and how God's worked in history and plans to work in history. Um, for me, I, I actually find, I, in terms of how we are as a, as a community, I'm often finding that I don't know what to say about God anymore to people. It's kind of like a hard, uh, how do you talk about the mysterious Holy One, you know? How do you find language for it? But I'm even more confronted by what is the good news? How do I articulate this, this powerful message? And one thing that has troubled me when I was wrestling with this is, well, what was powerful and grabbed me? What about this story stopped me in my tracks and just said yes? And, and that's, to me, one of the things I'm asking myself and, and potentially asking you, is what is it that, that arrests you about the story? What is the part that hits you the most? What about God captures you and says yes? That is beautiful. That is worth praising. And I, one of the things that comes to my mind is, is the Lord's Prayer. We, we do an expanded Lord's Prayer as a cell. And what we do is stop and reflect on each part and sort of try to offer more about it. But when I think about the Lord's Prayer, I think about you know, this idea that Jesus starts with the statement of faith that God is Father. God is Parent. God is intimate knowledge and understanding. A statement of faith, uh, uh, putting it out there saying, God, this is what I believe to be true. Uh, and then he goes to a hope uh, captured in this idea, your kingdom come. And see, one of the things that's been challenging me is, is it's not enough, I don't think, for me to just say your kingdom come with a vague understanding of God's kingdom. I think sometimes it's really easy for me to default and say, God, you're God. So whatever you want is good. But I don't think that's enough for us to be a worship and caring community. I think we need to grasp with what is it about the kingdom that we want to come? What is it that's worth celebrating, that's worth asking for? I don't think it's enough to just say in a vague sense. I think we need to put flesh and bones on that idea because that's what shapes our caring. Our caring comes out of seeing the gap, to see the fact that this situation is not what God desires, requires us to have some knowledge of the hope of what God's after. And I think that's been arresting me, and then I'm asking myself, in a personal sense, uh, what is it that has gathered and, and gathered my um, my heart? What has captured me? I was doing some reading uh, during this time, and this this author actually captured one of the things that has really impacted me. And he says this about Jesus's concern in terms of the kingdom of God: that Jesus' concern stresses stresses the coming fresh life of all created beings in the community of the Creator. The kingdom of God is the wide space in which there is no cramping. There is no human liberty without this free space of God. The kingdom of God is the wide space in which there is no cramping. And when I read that, I just said, Amen. That is why I'm here. Because in God, this is freedom. That's my hope. That is 
what will pull me forward. That's why when I can pray, your kingdom come, I actually can pray it and want it and not feel like it's, you know, just something I have to say. I have to remind myself of the beauty of the kingdom, of what God's actually trying to do. So for me, this is one of those things. This is one of my personal, this is why the gospel arrests me. Because God has this view to bring the great inclusion of all of us to find our place in God together and be whole. And I think all of us have different things that, are, that capture us about the kingdom. And I want to hear yours because that's partly how we shape each other, right? As we tell each other the stories of what has arrested us about this story, about this God, and about this journey, this hope of what God's going to bring uh, in that final I say consummation for Phil because he always <laughs> likes to use the word consummation. So I guess my question from this is how do we keep the focus on the things about God that we find praiseworthy in front of us, those beautiful aspects, and how do we continue to allow the kingdom to arrest our hearts and to remind ourselves of what grabbed us in the first place? Why did we choose to follow Jesus? Why did we choose to say this is a way worth going? Uh, and I think that's sort of stuck out to me as we talk about living out the story. What about this story has arrested you? Um, and then from that, if we go on to the idea of caring, it's interesting to know from, from my side uh, that once you get out of this sort of get souls into a, uh, what is it, lifeboat and get into heaven idea, you realize that there's so much grounds to care. In terms of uh, when, you, when you stop and ask yourself, um, where is the kingdom not being expressed? You know, when, you're, when you're arrested by God's vision of fulfillment, it doesn't take much looking to find all the places it's not happening now and that are ripe to be cared for, to be tended to. And uh, Tom Wright puts it in a pretty simple, blunt way. Uh, what would it look like if God was in charge? Is the central question of us as we care, as we're stewards, we just look at any situation in terms of relationships or our jobs and we say, what would it look like if God were in charge? Or to put it another way, as we've used, what difference would Jesus make to this situation? How does the kingdom inform this moment here? I actually think the only way we can do that is if we're worshiping community. If we're if infused by that vision of what God's going for, then we can bring eyes to a situation and say, this isn't kingdom way and engage with the act of caring for it in a way a steward would a king, right? Because if you're caretaking for someone else, the question is, how would they want you to care for it? And so that sort of, to me, naturally flows. Um, and I think that's the question we're asking, right? As a community, what's, where are we now? Where do we find ourselves every day? And what difference would Jesus make to, where, to what we do and to how we do it and to who we do it with? I've been very challenged by that and just to see the, the gap can sometimes be pretty humbling. But that takes us from knowing the story. That was just talking about knowing our role, our role being to worship and care, I think our central vocation. And then the last is to know the tradition. And I grew up Catholic. I think I've told a lot of you guys that um, tradition scares me often. I don't like doing the same thing twice. And Andy you knows that I can't do it. So... And I think that's probably from growing up and reading the same liturgy every day uh, at Mass, and especially when I was an altar boy. And there's, there's definitely some things that always scared me about the history of my faith. And one of them 
were, was saints, right? When I grew up Catholic, it always just weirded me out. And it wasn't just the fact that people would, would pray to them. I was just like, man, why have we got to pray to so many people? It just gets complicated. There's <laughs> candles everywhere. And it was mainly, but it was also the art. Really creeping me out, right? Like, I was just like, what are these pictures? Why is everyone posing like always doing that? <laughs> I don't get it. And it just it didn't really fit with me. And I have to say that I think I was pretty dismissive of tradition. And I didn't really see the place for it. But as I started to wrestle with this question, how do we, in Act 5, in this, in this space between the end of the New Testament and, and the fulfillment uh, when Jesus and God reveal kind of the come back for the, the final consummation moment. Um, how, how, does, how do we live? And then you just start to think, well, how have other people done this, right? How has the church answered this question for the last few thousand years? And I stumbled upon, uh, during our church history course, the idea that you know the early church spent a lot of time wrestling with some crazy things about God, the Trinity and the Incarnation. And then, at the end of all of that, there was this strange council that the church has, is, has, and it's about icons and the use of icons, which is quite strange, because it's like we spent all this time talking about the Incarnation. Now, why are we talking about weird pictures? How does that get into the mix of what the church was concerned with? And all of a sudden, I started doing some reading, and I, and I actually did this essay at the end. I chose it because it was so, I don't know, got under my skin. And you found out that they were wrestling with the incarnation and the impacts of it through pictures. That if we are in fact image bearers, then through looking at these people, we look for the God, we look for the divine through them. That they become pictures, representatives of, if this is a prototype, if Jesus was the prototype of God, then by looking at the image of Jesus, reflecting on Jesus' humanity, we will catch Jesus' divinity. And it became a way of seeing through people into that fulfillment. And so icons became a picture to say every single person you meet shows you something about God. And those who stay faithful, their gaze, their example, will inform us the way that we did with, with other realms of our life. And the thing that comes up to me is baseball cards. Has anyone done baseball cards as a kid? I don't know why I had baseball cards. I didn't even like baseball. Actually, I had a lot of basketball cards. Well, what, what, was, what was up with this? Why do I have pictures of athletes on little cards in my room with all their little stats and what's cool about them on them? And I think that's okay, but the saint pictures are weird, right? Because all this is is like me aspiring to be an athlete. So what do I do? I put the athletes that are inspiring, that their practice, their craft said something. It showed us something about how to play the game. And so we celebrated them. We said, this, this gave us something. There was a gift here. There was something here that's worth remembering. So we, picture, we pictured it. Because that picture would do something to us. It would cue up more than just words could. And so that's what we did. And the church did the same. We have images of saints because their example speaks to us. And by knowing their tradition, how they've engaged in it, it helps inform us. And so my question becomes... Who inspires me from our history? Who are the people that inspire us? And how do we tell their stories and remember their stories so that they inform how we are? And I just want to show you some weird ones. So, St. <laughs> Benedict. I love these because they actually, they actually look like cards, which is why I chose these images. Um, they're still weird, right? But there's something aesthetically that still intrigues me about these now because it kind of ties me to my youth. 
Saint Benedict uh, was uh, a monastic. He wrote the Rule of Benedict, and some of the, that rule was this sort of idea of ordering your life with God, high on worship, right, high caring. The church. This guy influenced monastic practices pretty much since his time has all been. Saint Benedict has had a profound influence on the practice, especially the use of the Psalms and engaging in this life of worship and service. Um, the second Benedict actually probably did more for him than he did himself. But the, the, the church celebrates him, and I celebrate his, his influence on us, right? We, we read a common prayer book, and a lot of that stuff is kind of based on the hours that they followed uh, as monks. Whoops, broke it. St. Francis, some called St. Francis the second Christ. I mean, he devoted his life to following Jesus in the most radical way. And one thing Simon and I, I think, would attest to in our course is that anytime anyone devoted their life wholeheartedly to follow Jesus, a revolution broke out in some sort of form. And St. Francis starts this uh, crazy service for the poor and, and poverty, right? Just saying that this possession has uh, little impact on me. I'm devoting my life to, to worshiping God. And he had a thing for animals, as we know. Right? It's good with the birds in the picture. Um, and someone who is having a, a profound influence on my life right now is St. Ignatius, uh, who during all the chaos of uh, the Reformation time that would, would happen and all the corruption and brokenness in our history uh, actually cared about connecting people to the life of God. And amongst it all came up with the spiritual exercises to sort of empower people to live a life connected to God. And um, so much of uh, the practices that influence me now come uh, not necessarily from him, but from the time in which he wrote them down. And again, high focus on worship and service. Uh, the Jesuits, as we know, would go spread across the globe, spreading the, the news of the king and also tending to the needs of the people. If you spend any time in the States, you'll see most hospitals around have some sort of faith background, and a lot of them are Jesuit institutions. And these are people who, whose devotion to Jesus influenced how they practice, and the Jesuits in particular, it's spread. And the list goes on. I mean, I, I couldn't find cool cards for everybody, right? I mean, there's the, the, the practice of icons hasn't really carried on in the Protestant world. Um, I did find one of, of Wesley and the Wesley brothers, but the question for me is I can't cover all of this. Uh, my main thing was to present you with some of the people from our history, but just to ask you that question, right? Who's inspiring you? Because this is something I had to wrestle with. Like, I had to rediscover a place for the saints. And it's not to say I need to pray to them, but it's to say I need to learn from them. Hear their stories. Let how they practice, how they improvised in the act. Let it inform us. Because um, their context is not our context, right? We don't live in a crazy papal state like a lot of the time period was for this. And, and so how do we, how do we take from them and, and live it out? And so that to me are the, the three kind of big ideas, right? Know our story, know our role, uh, and know our tradition. And, and what I love about icons now uh, is essentially the picture of what we're called to be. I think I said when Jesus walked this earth and lived and died and rose again, in him we had a picture. We had a window that through it we could see where the story was going. We could see the fulfillment, that hope um, of all creation to be renewed. 
essentially, as one, uh, one of the authors put it, what, what God did in Jesus, God will do for all of creation. Right? That's that sort of hope that we have. And so in Jesus, we get a picture, we get this taste. It's like the appetizer when someone's t- like testing the soup. Is this soup good? I never do that, which is why my soups are terrible. But it, it, you know, like when you taste it, you're like, man, that's good. So the meal to come is going to be great. right? The church is called to live in that way, to do the same thing. To be that taster that when someone sees it, they say, man, that's good. I want more of that. And, and, and the Kohen and Goheen, what's his name? Bartholomew and Goheen, the, guy that, uh, the, the two that have written the book that we're basing on, said, the important function of the church is thus to be a picture, a brief representation, a sample of what the future in God's kingdom would be. Be an icon. I mean, that's how I think we're supposed to be called, right? That our lives would be lived in such a way that when people looked at it, they would look at it and not just see us, but see something more. And that's the idea behind icons, is that they would draw us to the divine and humanity working. That's incarnation, God at work in the flesh. And I think that's the hope. So this is my personal response. And I'm just putting some questions out that might help you land why this whole journey through the five acts that we've done matters. And so my hope is that may you know how you tell the story. May you know the story in a way that you can put your words on it to share it. And may you find what you really love about God and keep it in front of you. Because if we don't, we'll lose our way and another force will slip into our life and out. Um, May you remember what grabs you about our hope. What is it that draws you to the kingdom? And to share from there, because I think that's what we need from one another. We need to know the beauty you see. And may you find your heroes in our tradition. May you find the people that inspire you, because I want to hear it. I want to hear who captures your attention and why, and and how they inform how we live today. And I really hope that as we go to the next one, Act 6, that you remember what is exciting about this, this journey, about this mission of God. Cool? All right. Thank you.